it's just about time for people to do a whole bunch of shopping. And if you're like me, you like to do it uh, online and not go to the massive panic attack that is a mall during the month of December. Well, if you're going to do that, consider going to duckfeed.tv slash tipjar, where you can use our Amazon links. Get the uh, same Amazon that you're used to and support the network because uh, we get a small cut of whatever you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. That is duckfeed.tv slash tipjar. And we're super thankful uh, for people who take the extra step. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. Hey everybody, this is Cole stepping in for a quick introduction of what you're about to hear. Earlier this month in November, we were invited to give a talk at the Ohio Game Developers Expo. Uh, And the talk was about Dark Souls and the Dark Souls series and things that we noticed in these games that made them special. And because this is a developer-focused conference... We wanted to point out a couple of things that, you know, if you were to take any lessons away from this from a design perspective, what would we say uh, those should be? Now, we feel like the talk was a pretty big success. Um, You can listen to this and find out. But it was a fantastic experience. And we're so happy for everybody who came out uh, to see us or to hang out with us at the after events and such. Uh, And we're so happy that we were invited to give this talk. Uh, I don't want to drag this on any further at the start here, so let's go ahead and listen and we can get some, uh, you know, outro stuff at the end. So now it is time for Lessons from Laura Dran, a bonfire side chat. Uh, <laughs> should be noted that there's a joke at the beginning here. Gary asked the entire crowd to act uh, apathetic, uninterested, and displeased so he could take a picture. This is currently the cover photo on the Facebook page, but uh, you're catching the tail end of that particular goof in three, two, one. Um, so uh, three, two, one. Awesome, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to look at that whenever I feel like my uh, head's getting too big. <laughs> this, um, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is after we do the talk, um, we have stuff to give out. So we have buttons and postcards and stuff if you guys want that. Um, happy Stickers, to... most of them from other shows. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you like Dark Souls, too bad. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So we've we've got a talk uh, for you guys. Um, called, we call lessons from Lordran. Um, yeah, we're gonna do it. Yeah. So, so dude, uh, I can't I can't do this if we don't start the usual way. Oh sure. So, uh, so, yeah. so yeah, my name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're watching uh, Bonfireside <laughs> Chat. It is a uh, cursed undead. Uh, Hunter's beastly favorite. Any of those kind of things. Um, Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know, um, we host a podcast called Bonfireside Chat. Um, We've been doing it for a couple years, started in 2013. And this is a area-by-area 
incredibly close-up look at the Souls series of games. Um, we dissect every area of the game, and we're looking for design choices, um, narrative, lore, uh, things like that. Yeah, so as we've done this, kind of some patterns and themes have, uh, have emerged uh, as we've kind of like paid some close attention to this um, kind of cross-sectioning and you know, in intersecting really with our other stuff that we've done, like on Watch Out for Fireballs. Like, this is a little bit what we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of do, this is, we're experiential. That's, that's our point. Yeah. Um, this is just kind of a long way of saying that, um, so we're not developers, we're at a, a game dev expo, um, but we put out 175 hours of talking about video games. So we've just done it a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 175 hours of this show. Oh, okay. Um, and a <laughs> yeah. lot of that was about Dark Souls. Some of it was tangents about bodily fluids. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Occasional dumb jokes, but uh, mostly about Dark Souls. So it, you know, feel comfortable saying that we spent uh, more time than most talking about Dark Souls yeah. at the very least. Yeah. So why Dark Souls, right? Um, aside from the fact that the talk, just talking about Dark Souls invaded every other show, so we decided to make a show about it. But why Dark Souls here today? Um, mm -hmm. And that's really what we're here to look at. What can we learn uh, from this series? But for anybody who isn't um, kind of conversant in this or familiar with it, we've got like some context for you as well. Yeah, so this is an action role-playing game uh, with this kind of dark medieval setting from, from software. Started with Demon Souls in 2009, and then Dark Souls was the big hit in 2011. Um, and this design ethic, you see name-checked all the time. So, like, if a indie game comes out or a game on Greenlight and it has elements of Dark Souls, um, it's named as, a, as an influence. Like, it is, yeah. makes big waves. Yeah. Um, the series is regarded for its high level of difficulty, kind of erroneously so, but that still is kind of a simple way of saying that um, you're going to die a lot and learn through the process. Yeah, it's really, it's really demanding, but really, really fair. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on. We're not going to focus so much on the, the difficulty part. Mm -hmm. um, so this talk will be geared at people with kind of a familiarity with the series. But we've got images and video to kind of illustrate some of these concepts uh, for people who uh, are not familiar or might have tried the games and bounced off them. Um, hopefully, we can kind of show you what's special about them and maybe you can give it another shot. Yeah. Um, so we want to try to be accessible and inclusive as possible yeah. for this. Yeah, and you know we're non-developers coming here to a developer conference saying that these are lessons, and this is not so much to be prescriptive except to just say, like, hey, this is something that this series has done really well um, and feels resonant, and here are, here's just our ways of putting this feeling of playing a Dark Souls game into words, into yeah. these kind of five principles that we've identified. Yep. Um, so we're going to be looking specifically at uh, an area from Dark Souls 1, uh, Anor Orlando. Um, is going to be kind of our case study. Uh, this is in the game, if you're not familiar. This is the Golden City of the Gods, um, centered in a kingdom named Lordran, uh, where the first game takes place. And this king uh, slash sun god, Gwyn, lived here with his family before a disaster left the world in ruin. Yes, left the world in ruin and uh, cursed the land so that people would turn undead and come back to life, unending but hollowing each time. So this is an undead kingdom full of zombies and people in the, in the process of losing their identity and transforming into these awful things. Yeah, and this, yeah. Is, this is kind of the fulcrum on which the game turns. Um, you're given some kind of vague goals early on and you spend the first half of the game or two-thirds of the game um, making your way here, um, but then after that it's all kind of smooth sailing. So this is the point in the game that the apex of difficulty and the place where you found a lot of these um, design decisions really kind of came into their own. Yeah, and uh, there's definitely a break visually for this too. Up until you get here, it's mostly been wading through 
poop water. I don't know if we can swear here, <laughs> but yeah. um, but uh, you know, wading through sewers in this it's really poop urine. Yeah, yeah, poop, yeah it's it's it's, yeah. it's not water. <laughs> so I was trying to hold on to like one little thing. Yeah, uh, but it's gross. It's a gross, dark, dingy game. And when you step foot into this place, um, it's this gigantic, sprawling. I mean, you can see this amazing cathedral. Um, and uh, you definitely get a sense that uh, you are seeing something that is beyond, something that is meant to be uh, evocative of something else from what you've seen so far. Yeah, and that contrast is important. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. That's, that's weaponized contrast. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, lesson one um, that we have found in the Soul series, reward exploration in multiple ways. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about this character, Havel the Rock. Um, he is a kind of a, this priest knight. Um, you find him locked in a tower near the beginning of the game, and he wears a super strong armor and has this giant dragon's tooth as a club. Um, much later, um, we actually find his his apartment yeah. um, in Orlando, and uh, that's kind of uh, he's really hard when we first meet him, though. So we can illustrate that for anybody who doesn't oh. uh, isn't familiar. Yeah, there's no audio on this, but you'll get the idea yeah. as you watch, kind of going into this tower and uh, going down. And I'll cut some time because it's a long tower. <laughs> um, and what's cool is as you're doing this you just think alright I have used this key I'm going to find something great and then here's this guy yeah. who can kill you in one shot and you think hey this is just like a mid boss or a mini boss this is hitting you really early in the game and you're not sure if there's going to be a story behind this guy but it's not so much later that you figure out the way that he fits into the place and the lesson here is around the way that that reveals itself Mm -hmm. Right. And it's also, this is the first enemy that can one-shot you in the game. This is probably the earliest you can get one shot um, in the game, other than a rare thing that can happen with the Taurus demon. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about his apartment, um, you know, which, as I mentioned, we find it behind a, a fireplace. So the player is exploring this area, and you're rewarded for poking in these nooks and crannies in multiple ways. And we're going to show uh, getting into it. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the ways you're rewarded for doing this. So this is off the critical path in the game. Yeah. This is just a room you can see. There's like a window that yeah. shows you a stairway down. So you have to try to go through the fireplace here. And then uh, yep. down here in the, the slightly smaller tower. <laughs> you see, he likes towers. He's a tower knight. Yeah, um, <laughs> He's not the tower knight. No, the lowercase um, tower knight. Um, <laughs> but uh, you have these chests down there, and these contain items. And for people who aren't aware, a lot of the story in Dark Souls is actually told through these um, item descriptions for, you know, as, you, as you look at them. Item description and then um, location. So yeah. what we find down here, what we can infer as a player, is that uh, this is hidden for a reason, um, and hidden really harshly. So it's, it's really hard to find, and then in this chest you find a mimic. So uh, mimics in Dark Souls are mimics and everything else, except they have fingers for teeth. Um, they're real creepy. Um, but you find his gear uh, there, including an occult club. Okay? So by reading the description on the occult club, we know that these are weapons of the god, or weapons uh, used to slay the gods. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're, they're forbidden. Gwyn tried to banish them. Yeah. Um, so when we, get, when we get this, we've got all these little pieces of information. We have that we found this guy in a tower earlier. Um, his apartment is in Anor Orlando. He's in the city of the gods, but it's hidden. He's hiding his stuff, and he's guarding the specific item. So what do we get from this exploration? What are the, the different ways this benefits us? Mm -hmm. um, the most obvious one is player empowerment. 
Um, so this guy destroyed us earlier. You saw um, that. Yeah, he is, he is a, a power elemental. Um, and now we have his clothing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know if you've ever owned someone else's clothing, but it's a real mark of power. Um, it's like a demon's true name. Um, if you ever borrow a shirt from a friend, that's it for them. Um, but it, it's really good. It's arguably the best heavy armor in the game. Yeah. The weapon is a really good strength weapon. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that player empowerment is one thing you get for exploration here. Yeah. And then by reading these descriptions and kind of inferring from the locations and uh, um, all the text there, you get a line of inquiry. You start wondering, you know, why did Havel have this? Um, you know, it's right under the noses, and it's almost like he is plotting against them. And in fact, that could be argued to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also closure for something that we haven't thought about in, could be on your first playthrough, like 30 hours. You know, so this, this little little niggling detail in the back of your brain about this guy who one-shot you in this tower you don't go to anymore <laughs> and we don't talk about, uh, we now have that closure. So um, it reveals this story, makes the player feel like an archaeologist. You have this connection to the movers and shakers of the world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So um, what, have, what have we learned? What do we know about Havel? <laughs> what do we know about Havel? We know that uh, he does not like dragons. In fact, that big weird club is actually the tooth of a dragon. Uh, yep. You can read that in the description there. Um, and by looking at his, his armor, you can tell, OK, this is made of rock. That's why he's Havel the Rock. And has this whole order of knights who are um, kind of vanguards in this war, or were vanguards in this war against these dragons. Uh, but we also know that this regime kind of made nice, made buddy-buddy with, with this one guy, Seath. Uh, this dragon who betrayed and defected. if you don't know what like if anyone wants to beat us up after this yeah oh no you can do it like it is <laughs> like yeah we're used to it um, so what we learn is like it's possible he's not happy about this and is actually planning an insurrection and he has this forbidden thing hidden right there just in case he needs it um, if things break bad for him and his order. Yeah, so the, so the idea being is that the player's gone off the critical path, they're exploring, and it's rewarding you in, in a bunch of different ways. Like it's a really enriching experience to, uh, to kind of take this side path. Um, and Orlando is filled with stuff like this, like little details if you're paying attention. Um, so the designer's choices kind of tell a story about the people who live here and uh, give these kind of gameplay hints. We have some, some pictures to go yeah. along with this. Yeah, so when you first arrive here, you ultimately you come to a, uh, a dead end. And what it's kind of training you to do is look at how perfect and pristine everything is. And by looking at the way that that happens, the way forward is by finding the one imperfection, looking at these windows in this cathedral until you ultimately identify something that is out of place, which is, and it's gonna slow down here, and it's gonna pull up the, the frame. There we go, yep, there we go. Um, this broken window which in this pristine place must be a thing that you can do, and then you run up this buttress to get there. Yeah, right? yeah. And we're going we're to talk about rafters in a little bit. <laughs> the, um, so you know, if you go find the stairs of the cathedral, they're cut for two different sizes. So we know that these giants, these gods in this land, cohabitated with regular people mm -hmm. um, here. Same thing with elevators. Um, we find some elevators later that are, you know... Uh, Small size and, and giant size. Here's the here's the fun size one, and here's the family size one. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> One's uh, uh, baby Snickers. Um, and then there are statues in this cathedral that feature Gwyn and Guinevere, these gods, and one podium is empty. So we're gonna have a little, you know, a little bit more on that right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> talking about that podium. That's a segue. 175 hours, folks. Um, yeah. Um, so lesson two is to reward experimentation 
and don't punish it. For as punishing as Dark Souls is, it actually does a really good job of recognizing that the players have these impulses um, mm -hmm. given the systems and the world around them. And you're not really punished with a game over on the other side of it. In fact, in some cases, like what we're going to show you, um, it opens up this new version of an area that reveals a lot about the overall story of the game. Yeah. So, so essentially, when you get to uh, Dark Souls or get to Anor Orlando, you can think, like, this is too nice. You know, we mentioned <laughs> how beautiful it is. Uh, the rest of the world is a garbage, poo poo pee pee, water zone. Um, <laughs> so you. You, water. You, might, you might think that this is uh, too good to be true, and it is. Um, so after you beat the toughest fight in the game, um, we're introduced to Guinevere. We've seen statuary of here of her. Uh, she's incredibly important. She's the princess of the realm. And she gives us this noble task that feels very video gamey um, at that point. And uh, the average player might say, hey, can I, can I shoot her? Um, so here, here she is giving us a quest. Yes, it's very, it's very Zelda-y, you know. You must rekindle yeah. the fire, you must take my dad's place. Um, and is talking about this, this serpent who has been kind of guiding you along this and saying, no, trust this guy, he's legit. If you like serpents, you will <laughs> like this game. Yeah. Um, can two. you guys see this okay? Do we need to lower lights or anything? Is that good? Maybe we can, or is that something we can do? Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Didn't, didn't. Oh, hey. Uh, there we go. Cool. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so after all this dialogue here, you're going to notice, well, maybe instead of kneeling, what yeah. if I just... I choose not to kneel. Yes. Yeah, a man chooses. <laughs> so we've, we've done something that the game developed, like we've experimented. Yeah. We've, we thought, can we shoot this character who's obviously really important? Uh, and yes, you can. And you're rewarded with more content, more of that story, more kind of player empowerment through, uh, through this thing that reframes everything we've done before. Yeah. And this new character kind of pipes in, this Gwendolyn, and saying, you're going to live to regret this thing that you have done. Not so much in a way that uh, implies, like, revenge, oh, you killed my sister. Um, but more in, you have kind of lifted this veil that I've placed over this. You can see this is the twilight moon of Anor yeah. It's a different... Everything that we've seen up, up to this point in this area has actually been a veil that he has put up there to maintain the illusion that there is still something holy here. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't give you a game over for doing something like that. You imagine, you know, you play a, an Oblivion and you, you kill King Septus. And it's, oh, the quest line has been <laughs> severed. You can't do it. Um, I think King Septus is from, like, the... Like the um, National Lampoon's like ver like parody of Oblivion. <laughs> of Oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it doesn't give you a game over. The game never gives you a game over. Um, you are always encountered to or encouraged to experiment and try things. Mm -hmm. um, so we learn this thing about the world. Things aren't what they seem. They're actually worse. Um, <laughs> it doesn't deny content to you for for experimenting. It provides more of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's another really powerful example that we didn't get footage of because it's harder to do. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so. But um, people who play games, you're familiar with sequence breaking. Uh, you just do things out of order, even though the, everything in the game, from gates to enemies, uh, are resisting you doing it. Um, and if you go down this path of most resistance from the start of the game, it's actually possible to get to late game content well before you are ready uh, to take it on. And so... If you power through that, what you get access to is actually, this is one of these serpents who's got the crazy uh, mustache? I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cheek stash. Yeah, it's a cheek. Yeah. yeah. It's a really bad skin tag. Yeah, cheek flaps. Um, and uh, and uh, this gets you access to one of the most powerful and popular player versus player covenants in the game. Uh, it lets you go and invade other people's worlds. 
um, and getting access to this early lets you make life as hard as possible for complete strangers over the internet. It's which, which is a kind of reward. And then <laughs> kind of more importantly though, it reframes everything that comes after it. So it is important to understanding the game as a whole. So again, you're rewarding exploration and you're rewarding experimentation. Both those things are, are really important to Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so lesson three, uh, we're talking about uh, sprawling and contracting, uh, compression of space. Yeah, this is, this is something we hit on a lot. And this is the idea that um, the game can feel like it spreads out forever and ever. And in fact, if you look at um, a chart of the way that all of these areas interact, there are just tons and tons of them. But they design them in such a smart, interlocking way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it seems like it's going to be really intimidating to get anywhere. Uh, but shortcuts uh, you know, mean that you don't have to see the same parts of level over and over. Um, you can actually traverse this world remarkably quickly. Um, you know, so you take your time going, but you, you know, kind of hurry back. Um, <laughs> the first real area of the game, Firelink Shrine, actually it acts as a hub and it connects to five different areas and then contains an elevator that connects to another three or four. And these are gated in a really clever way so that your first time through them, again, feels like a nightmare and takes forever. And then eventually you, this, as this feeling of mastery of the world grows, mm -hmm. um, this feeling of a, a, a greater area of dominion and it feels smaller. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is this awesome feeling when you get the, uh, uh, we don't have sound, but we get the blah of the new, the new what, area. What was the sound going to be? Was it just going to be going blah? No. I, okay, because we could pretend <laughs> yeah, we, we had we, it. We, yeah, but that's blah. what I just did. Blah. But you get this new area sound. You have this Pavlovian response, and this could look different from anything you've seen before. And you think, okay, there's going to be more after this. In fact, it could go on and on. But it feels manageable because even as that expands in front of you, behind you, everything kind of knots up and you know that you're not like in for this long hike. This isn't like an EverQuest when you're running across the main continent, right? You know, making a night of that. And if you want to beat me up, you can. Um. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're going to kind of show you a little bit of, uh, here's just another view of the map. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to show you kind of this, uh, this run that you can make from the early part of the game. And this will take everyone hours and hours and hours the first time. But actually how small the world becomes and that feeling of, of just uh, competence yeah. that you get from this compression of space. Yeah. So I'm going to speed up. The, the, the actual run is sped up, but there we are at this, uh, at this elevator and running through Firelink, and eventually it's going to pick up. And we're going to go all the way through the Undead Burg and the Undead Parish. And so we're going to speed up in three, two, one. Oh, I was so confident Zero. I was going to nail yeah. that. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really ready to be impressed, and now I'm not. <laughs> oh, so. Well, there we go. All right. Yeah. So we're going through the aqueduct. So, I'm not going to narrate all of it. Boy, that. watching this from below is making me nauseated. Oh, it, <laughs> like, it definitely will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, all of this, you're fighting for every inch. This yeah. is like, you know, football <laughs> almost. And so um, as you kind of go through this, you are making headway little by little, fighting these different enemies that I'm kind of zigging and zagging around. There are bosses. There are shortcuts you unlock. Um, all of this to make what feels like you know, not feels like sometimes could be the first 15 hours of your game. Mm -hmm. And then to have this feeling of relief when you find one of these shortcuts to recognize, I can just cut that out and I can all of a sudden get to this. Again, it's that it, it expands before you but then contracts behind you. Yeah, so it, ultimately, you know, something that takes you 12 hours, like I can get to the, like, Anne Orlando in this game in a half hour now. Yeah. Um, through through doing oh, yeah. all of this stuff, like just through knowledge, uh, making something seem smaller, 
And I, the feeling that the player gets, and, and I get, um, from owning that, like this is, I know this as well as the back of my hand. You know, I know, <laughs> I know this as well as my hometown. Um, that's really, really empowering. Yeah, you uh, you fit it in your head. It's a, uh, it's a little bit like you ever, have you ever forgotten a commute? Yeah, it's a exactly. little bit of the same yeah. feeling. So this is this is a trick that happens in other types of games too, like a lot of times in survival horror games or Metroidvania games. Um, so think about how foreboding the mansion is in Resident Evil, um, and then you know the feeling of running, you know, running back and forth like you own the place near the end. That's mm -hmm. the same kind of thing here. Yeah. Um, and it happens elsewhere in this game as well. There's a, um, an area that's kind of one of our favorites and is kind of regarded as being this awesome, uh, literally hidden gem. Um, lit literally on the hidden, not on the gem part, uh, yeah. called the Painted World of Arianas, which yeah. we can see a map here. This is from the strategy guide. And the actual path that you have to take to get through that looks like that. It's mm -hmm. incredibly windy. Um, pretty circuitous, and it's very like vertical, so you're going up and down um, around this kind of thing, unlocking it. But once you unlock all of these shortcuts, again, this entire thing is minimized because that's the new run. It's just like, like literally a straight shot. And that's all done through level design. Yeah. So really, this is the, uh, the Painted World run here that we have for video. So this is all done through clever shortcuts and everything. And again, I just can't stress that feeling of mastery uh, that you have from yeah. knowing this. Yeah, this is just like, just to illustrate. It's our, our Demon Souls cameo <laughs> for the video. Yeah. Yeah. Then you just make the room. Yeah, it's just a straight line. So that's a, that's a, that's a great feeling. Um, and this is true throughout the entire game and the entire series. It's really impressive. Um, even without the shortcuts, your second pass is going to feel so much better and easier than your first. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, just because your knowledge is going to make it easier as well. Yep. You know, knowing that you can run around these enemies, you don't have to fight them. You can pick your battles um, in a way that, on the on the second go around, that you're probably not inclined to on the first go. Yeah. So let's talk about battles. Yeah. Um, let's talk <laughs> about uh, difficulty here. So uh, the difficulty we talked about how that's kind of overstated, but the game is actually very forgiving, and part of that's because the player uh, is trusted to make mistakes. Um, you know, this game trusts you. Uh, it doesn't hold your hand. There isn't, uh, there's a very brief tutorial, but there's no Navi. There's no uh, developer messages constantly throughout. Um, we are just taken to this strange land with little direction um, after this very brief tutorial area. Yeah. So, um, oops, I don't oh. have that video in here. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, so th this gives us this kind of like ownership because we figured it out ourselves. Um, if you ever taught yourself to do something, um, it feels like that, like figured out a simple machine. Like the thing I always think about is fixing a toilet tank, <laughs> um, just because it's so obvious the way that it works in there. And I, I don't have any toilet training. I'm not a trained toilet man. Um, but Wait, the uh, rephrase that, please. Yes, yeah. Me, me, I'm not a toilet man. Um, but the, uh, no, the toilet training part. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, yeah. I've never been. No. The, uh, I've, I've, and I never will. So. <laughs> The, uh, it's a stand you're taking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leaning into that. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, and you figure it out your own way, too. You know, you can find some of these best practices and you have these tips, but everybody's going to kind of gravitate towards a style of play that, uh, that, that, that really they can lean into. Yeah. And if the game didn't have put things in front of you, giving you that control would be meaningless, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, Dark Souls regularly puts things that seem impossible in front of you and then gives you the reward of doing the impossible. 
So we have a couple examples here, again, from, uh, from Anne Orlando. So this is a real thing for me, uh, the Anne Orlando rafters, um, which uh, on first look, I just said, I can't do this. And just thought this is you know, superhuman dexterity, superhuman grace. Yeah, um, like it just spreads before you, like hmm, for as oh. good as the control is. Yeah, this is, and I have to fight here. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm then, just gonna fall off like a dummy. Yeah. yeah. Um, next up, uh, you know, the archers, which everybody loves these guys. Um, this is one of the hardest parts of the game, um, you know. As so. you have these gigantic spears being shot at you from these great bows by these silver knights up on the far edge. And uh, you can get a fair way if you get a chance to, uh, to run up there. And as you go, they're taking shots at you. And these spears will knock you back. This is some Castlevania. So you, you will do this a bunch of times, like it, until it literally feels like, oh, this is not a video game. This is just like a tech demo for Misery. <laughs> uh, wait, wait a minute, the Misery game? Did they get Kathy Bates for it? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, get, uh, you get hobbled. Yeah. Why am I, hey. <laughs> um, And then yeah, so, uh, just down yeah. you go, right in the back. Yep, and there's two of them, because, yeah. And Cole didn't get knocked off there, but, but you could. Yep. And then this, this area culminates with the hardest boss in, in the main game, uh, by far. Onto your smoke. Which, it's hard to capture why these guys are difficult on video, yeah. honestly. Uh, we'd have to, like, commentate it and, and everything. But you see you've got these two guys, the big guy with the hammer, and then this, uh, this Lancer dude. You have to fight them both at the same time. And this is the first time you've been asked to do this in the game. Um, it's very much explicitly designed for co-op, but even still, you are being asked to cope with two very different movesets and two enemies that are going to just keep coming at you. Yeah. So these are stopping points. These are places where you stop. It seems impossible. However, uh, magic kind of happens and things click. Um, so you kind of learn these new uh, kind of methods, you know, through, through on your own. Like nothing says, hey, bring a shield to the rafters. <laughs> You just have to figure it out. Yeah, and nothing says, well actually the boxes, like the collision on those, uh, on, on, the, on, on the rafters is wider than you think or wider than it looks. So you just have to run with confidence. Yeah. The same thing with, with the archers. We're gonna show a video of successful runs of these, but um, with the archers, it's either learn how to roll and actually like roll through these things or figure out a way to, you know, use items to Yeah, use, it. utilize your, your, your verb set. Yeah. for that. So try different things, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So like a successful run of this, and you can see where I died before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's slow, he's got his shield up, and that's what you do here. Yeah. Um, if you have a shield, even if you're not like built to carry a shield, you can soak these hits, and they're not going to knock you back too much. And you just have to kind of juke and lure them to get into a run, so you run by. And that's just teaching you, A, confidence in going through this thing that visually is supposed to psych you out. Um, and B, uh, um, I forget the other one. Oh, no, Sorry. that's... <laughs> I'm worried. I haven't seen this video, so I'm worried that guy's going to come up behind you. Oh, no. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you can just soak it. So, th this again, this, this is impossible. Like, you saw this, <laughs> and it's impossible. And then you do it, and you feel amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so, that second part of it is actually really important because difficulty without payoff is just... I want to be the guy. Yeah. And as much as we like that, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, yeah, it's it's a little, it becomes a slog, but you yeah. get that kind of catharsis at the end of it. So here's um, using the, the item cheese strategy yeah. on these guys. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll speed it up. Normally this is like five, 
to seven minutes of waiting for them to go. But you just have this vendor that you buy poison, arch, uh, poison arrows from, and you figure if they're not going to fight fair, I'm, gonna I'm not going to fight fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, uh, you can watch as it just slowly drains, and then you walk up with impunity. Yeah. <laughs> Look how fast he breathes. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we've made it. So, and then um, you know, Ornstein and Smo. Like, there's the trick is not like <laughs> it's 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 keeping both of them so you can see them, but you're still gonna die an awful lot. Yeah. And, and like, you, there's probably an argument to say that Ornstein and Smo are meant to teach you to co-op. Honestly. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. That's the other thing. And that's something that you if have. If the bell in, gargoyles weren't. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's the, you know, no really. Yeah. It's okay to go off. Um, <laughs> like, we designed it with it. There, you, know, you can hold out if you want to, right? Like, Dark Souls, it, you know, rewards, or at least it has the ability for you to make these self-imposed challenges around it. But just all of this stuff is built into it as part of the experience. And so it's a reminder, really, to use every part, part of what they're giving you. Yeah. So the, these parts that look impossible, they use them in other ways as well. Um, so it introduces these guys and gets you kind of to learn them and then mixes it up. Um, so one of the things is the, uh, the gargoyles. Um, that's a really, that's a, another common stopping point. Um, you bang your head against them forever, and then they show up as regular enemies, and they're no problem. Yeah. Um, like, in fact, the first three bosses of the game probably end up as just things that you regularly yeah. encounter later And that's on. intentional. Like, the fact that the first three things that you spend forever on become eventually just kind of chaff mm -hmm. for you to, to slice through is intentional. Yeah. Um, so. Which, which is good. I mean, it's like we, we enjoy that when it pops up in other games, but just something you can throw in there to remind people of how far you've come yep. is, a, is, is a really powerful thing. And, you know, the time when you have to choose to mix things up or the time where it feels best is sometime in between, like, confidence. Okay, I feel good that I can do this 85% of the time, probably. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm holding my breath a little bit, but before it becomes boring and routine. Yeah. You know, and this is something that kind of just is applicable across a bunch of stuff. You can see it happen in Mario. You can see it happen, like Portal is really good about this as well. Yeah. Um, somewhere between confidence and boredom, you have to start taking these things and mixing them up in interesting ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the fifth uh, kind of capital L lesson we have is uh, if the player can see it, um, they're gonna wanna go there and yeah. let them. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, you know something that is a design principle. It's not unique to Dark Souls. Um, this is a big thing for Disney and Valve. They both do really good jobs of this. And then, you know, I was kind of ragging on Oblivion earlier. That, <laughs> that game does a good, you know, Elder Scrolls games do a good job of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but From Software does an amazing job with it. Yeah. yeah. So in Disney, um, at least uh, the Magic Kingdom, you have this gigantic castle that's at the center that you can see from every point, pretty much, um, unless you're, I don't know, trapped underneath a goofy you fell over. Um, from every point, you can use it as... That's called Club 23. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but you can see there, it's a way to kind of orient yourself, right? Same thing with the Citadel in Half-Life 2. Uh, you know, such the gigantic foreboding building that you think, like, yeah, that looks like the last level to me. And you're kind of gauging your, your progress and sometimes, you know, your lack of progress um, by how far you are getting, you know, how far you are from it. Getting closer to it, getting further away from it. And that's something that happens here, too. Yeah. Like, does that not look a little bit like the Magic Kingdom? Uh, it has to be like, intentional. Yeah, like, I, I mean, know. there's a lot of uh, kind of design or architecture mm -hmm. touchstones for Anor Orlando, but it does have that, it has that same kind of purpose where you get to Anor Orlando, that's where you're going. You can see it from every place in Anor Orlando mm -hmm. when you're outdoors. Yeah. Um, and it gives you that, you know, hey, I'm going to go there. I'm going to conquer <laughs> that. Again, it's that, uh, that mastery yeah. feeling. But then there's something above that 
even too, because you, know, you see this, it's this massive thing, but there is this other building that's higher up, it's the highest point in the game, this Duke's archives, right? Mm -hmm. But that's blocked off from you. So it's like this nice little way of communicating to the player that yes, you have this goal and you can get here now, um, but there's another one even above that that's like far away. So it implies that there's even more um, than, they're, than they're showing you right now. Yeah, so the, you know, Anna is the biggest thing you've seen so far, but there's, wait, there's more. Um, and this extends through the entire game. Um, you know, something to do in Souls games, if you're playing them, is look up. Uh, you'll see stuff there. Um, you know, you, you will see other areas that eventually you'll go to. Or if you look forward to the horizon, you'll see things as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And so here's like just like a little, a little tour of this. You start out in Firelink, and you're looking up, and you see this aqueduct. Um, in a lot of games, that probably would be just a piece of set dressing. This is part of the skybox. Um, but you end up going there, you know, you're up there. That is uh, a clear sign that you're supposed to go there. And then once you're up there, when you're in the end of Berg, you see this church. That's pretty high up too. I want to go to there. You go to the church, you're standing on top of this. You fought these gargoyles and you see Duke's archives. You see this wall, this kind of massive wall say that you can't look over the rim into. and think, huh, I wonder, oh, yep. Once again, in Anne Rolanda, you're actually on the other side of that wall. And then you see the castle again. But also yep. there's, you know, Dukes up there. And uh, here's the top of Dukes as well. Everywhere, both up and down as you're looking, most of the stuff you see, you're going to end up there. And there's a wonderful uh, blog. Uh, he's been a, a blogger, uh, Illusory Wall, has done a pretty good uh, um, series of posts on this mm -hmm. as well, kind of highlighting the ways that the world fits together. Yeah, yeah. So this is... This is um you know, this kind of conservation of detail. So once you know that this is going to be an effect, um, this majestic thing that you see in the distance is going to uh, kind of fire your imagination. You're gonna wonder what it's like, and it's gonna create this sense of anticipation um, once you actually get there. Um, and one of the things that we're not, we're not talking about specifically today, but it's, the game's often going to surprise you with that because the monster designs are super goofy, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of like unexpected things. But while you're on your way, while you have that on the horizon, you're always going to be thinking, what's in there? What's that like? And you get to find out, mm -hmm. which, is, which is great. That's the payoff. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I almost think about, it's, it's a little bit like uh, Castlevania. Yeah. Um, to that extent where you see the map. Um, and you see, as you're walking up, kind of the, the, the clock tower and stuff. Like, it's, it does a really good job of that. Yeah. 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 So we're going to talk, we'll talk real briefly about the rest of the series and kind of a couple unique points that are in each entry uh, that came before and after this. Um, this will be, be a little bit briefer. Um, mm -hmm. But each game does kind of bring something unique to it. That maybe it's not a series uh, hallmark, but at the very least is worth talking about. Yeah. Um, so we're not starting with Kingsfield, even though that is kind of uh, an obvious progenitor of, yeah. of this. It's another From Software thing. You guys should play Kingsfield. Yeah. Um, um, Kingsfield are good. Yeah. Kingsfield 4 is especially um, accessible. Accessible, yeah. Yeah. If not, just listen to the soundtrack. It's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, Demon's Souls came out in 2009, and this was the director of these games. This was Miyazaki's first lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, um, so a lot of things we're talking about first appeared in Demon's Souls, even if they're done better in Dark Souls. Um, so this is where the mechanics got their start. But the thing that's kind of unique about Demon's Souls is how uh, bleak it is. So we talked a lot about how Lordran is dark. Um, I don't think it really has anything on Boletaria, um, where life is awful. Um, you know, we, we find people uh, who are in prison to have their souls experimented on and their bodies mangled into human mm -hmm. centipede things. Yeah. Um, we see yeah. a valley where all of the 
corpses and offal are just kind of like shunted to, and the, the, the pitiful denizens living down there worshiping uh, this saint in a mud hut, essentially, um, kind of clinging on and holding on to hope and embracing evil because they can see this tangible healing benefit yeah. to it. Yeah, the, the, this whole, and that's a theme throughout the series of the idea of like turning to real gods and you know things that actually can give you power as opposed to the religions that they, they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, uh, this kind of sets up this thing that is strongest in Demon Souls where you don't know whether you're a hero or not. Like when it comes time to, to make your choice and save the world or not, there's a good argument for both sides. Um, it's it's the worst. <laughs> it is uh, Baltaria is gross. Yeah, and uh, yeah, people do not want to live there. So, but mostly it's just there because it started the genre of this kind of over-the-shoulder action RPG, mm-hmm. the kind of yeah. pace of combat. Yeah, a pace of combat, and you know the the, the series is going to like speed up and slow down too, um, in terms of the combat and in terms of kind of how much ground you cover. Um, this one is pretty quick. Dark Souls is actually the most deliberate uh, of, of all of them. Um, it's a little bit more persistent. You have this big um, interconnected world, whereas Demon's Souls is more of a series of stages, like a hub and spoke kind of thing, and you're moving about them and switching between them at will. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Dark Souls 2, which uh, is not, like, not everybody likes Dark Souls 2. <laughs> we really like Dark Souls 2, and the reason they do a couple of really cool things that aren't done in the rest of the series um, structurally, uh, kind of narratively and mechanically, um, it's set up as a series of short stories. Um, this is not about one grand uh, story. It's about how these different kingdoms and cultures reacted to this undead curse and reacted to this thing. And it lets you tell different kinds of stories yeah. um, than the previous games in the series had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even though you only spend a certain amount of time, you know, very little time looking at many different things, you actually get um, the way that they play off of each other. Um, and that is a wonderful way to actually structure a grander narrative. It's a little, not like Rashomon, but that's a little bit of a similar thing. You're piecing it's this like together. Yeah, it's like Pokemon. Yeah. Ooh, the, boy, uh, Rashomon Pokemon. Yeah. It's four Rashomon. different battles, but everybody has a different opinion yeah. about when. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that is, uh, that is great. And that even just gets better uh, when you look at the DLCs. Yeah, the DLCs are really strong in that uh, aspect. Mechanically, this is the entry that does one of my favorite things with difficulty is that it gives the player a great deal of the control over it. So we talked about how difficult the series is. Um, Dark Souls 2 has a couple of mechanics that are really elegant that handle this. Um, one, uh, enemies, if you are making that run over and over through the, the lower end of Berg, eventually enemies will depopulate. And uh, people got mad about this because they wanted to farm their equipment. Um, in my mind, there's a really easy solution for that. Don't farm. Uh, don't farm equipment. <laughs> um, that's you know, probably not worth your time. Um, but it does, it makes it easier if you... Um, you know, if you're really struggling with the part, it will get easier as you as you play. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, is that if you don't want that, um, you get this item called a bonfire ascetic, which will make the world harsher. It allows you to redo parts of the world you like. Um, it changes things, so it allows you to kind of preview uh, New Game Plus content in the main game. Um, and they turn that into a consumable. It's kind of hard to find, but you can find them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it allows you to, you know, you have the base game, but you can make it easier or harder in a really diegetic way as opposed to just a difficulty selector. Um, And I would love to see more of that from the series. I think that was really good. There's even a covenant in Dark Souls 2 that uh, you can just get to right from the main hub area of the game. It was the Covenant of Champions? Yeah. Okay. I got that confused with the Kurt Vonnegut book. Um, But um, you you go there, and that just kind of puts you up into New Game Plus difficulty and makes it so you can't summon help. 
So yeah. this huge part of it, uh, part of the game, you don't have that. You can still be invaded, of course, yeah. because that blade only cuts one way. Yeah, but yeah, give, give the player control over that difficulty. Yeah. Um, and then Bloodborne, which is the most recent uh, game in the series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we like Bloodborne. Um, no, yeah, we love Bloodborne. Um, the, uh, so the thing that this does is it kind of, it's, it's the outlier in the series. You don't have this kind of slow-paced combat anymore. Um, it's not this methodical back and forth um, timing-based thing as much as it's, it's closer to something like uh, God Hand or Bayonetta or something like that. It's a, it's a fast-paced dodge system. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does have kind of, in, kind of in common with the series that is really, really neat is a sense of misdirection um, to narrative and mechanics. So um, if anyone has totally not played Bloodborne, this isn't a specific spoiler, um, but it starts off as being about one thing and then turns out to be about something else. Yeah. And uh, that forces you to reconsider all of the story stuff that you've learned so far and also the mechanical things. You're approaching enemies in a different way. Enemies have new weaknesses, um, even down to their anatomy. Um, you know, like it, <laughs> I, I know where the weak point on this thing is, but this thing, I don't even know if it has a, a head or has a tail, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that is this kind of feeling of, the floor dropping out from under you and dropping you into the basement, and then when you get to the basement, you get out a shovel. You know, it's just this constant feeling of undermining player expectation mm -hmm. uh, that that's really works in the game's bent, uh, favor. Yeah, and that actually, um, when we're talking about this feeling of increasing mastery over the space and just kind of like, once you know the size and shape of this, this does a very good job of keeping you on uneven footing um, as you go along, at least in your first playthrough. It's very resistant to that kind of mastery. And that puts it more in line with a horror game where you're not as empowered. You don't follow the same curve of um, just becoming a badass yeah. throughout this. Yeah. You know, it throw, cool. throws different challenges and different themes uh, that you have to uh, get used to. Yeah. Um, and that, that's more or less what we have planned for the presentation part. Um, if anybody has any questions or anything, we will take questions. Yeah. Um, Eternal Ring? Yeah. Evergrace? Yep. For the uh, for the people for the microphone here, um, he asked if we had played any other games from this developer uh, from software. Um, that specifically their earlier games. Yeah, spe yeah, specifically their earlier games that kind of related to this. So Eternal Ring, Shadow Tower, um, Echo Knight, any of those. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about, um, we covered Kingsfield 4 on the, the show. Um, we're planning to cover more in our off seasons because we think that's really important too. Um, he, had, he had mentioned that he thinks it's important to kind of get these component parts before seeing them combined. Um, I think that's a good idea if you can do it because uh, the games are more obtuse the earlier games, I love them, but not everyone's going to have the patience for them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the turning radius on Kingsfield Four <laughs> is like a, a, a forklift. Like it's like you're you're a, you're a medieval forklift, and you, you, it's a medieval forklift simulator 2015. Um, so it's like I can understand people not being into that. Yeah. Um, we really love it and want to spend more time in the show yeah. examining it, though. It's it's unfortunate that kind of they cut their teeth in the PlayStation era just because those have aged, they haven't aged gracefully. Yeah. Um, they're the ugliest games I've ever played. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's just weird that there's this, there's this dip um, in, in, in uh, both aesthetic, aesthetics and accessibility uh, between those. But there's, there's good stuff there. Yeah. Um, you know, specifically in terms of the, the way the world's laid out and the, um, the combat. 
we, we said it before, but like if you're looking for one of those earlier things, like uh, From's PS2 stuff actually is really good. Like Kingsfield for... Yeah, the Ancient City. The Ancient City has, has a, a great deal of Dark Souls DNA um, inside of it. And uh, if you have the ability to play it, there was a fan translation of um, Shadow Tower Abyss, which actually has a lot of stuff that would eventually work its way into and become Demon Souls. Yeah. So we're, we're going to cover that. Yeah. Uh, the Ancient City straight up has a sense fortress. Yeah. So Like a trap-filled place. That Full is... of snake men. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Um, we talked a lot about the uh, fighting inside the tower with the dragon tooth dude. Mm-hmm. There are other moments in the game, Dark Souls, where there's often a very optimal way to deal with the situation. Similar to the Raptors fight, uh, Raptors with the shield. Um, you guys said that it provides lots of So, the, so the, the question was, do we feel a tension around the idea that on one level from is encouraging experimentation and offering these multiple ways, and also the idea that there is an optimal way, um, and in a lot of the situations that we showed where it did look and feel impossible, um, there is actually like a best way to do it. And are we punished for experimentation in that way by not going to a source and finding the optimal way? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Uh it, it, it depends on the area. So some of those areas, so like the rafters, there's a, there's a good way to do it. You could also roll if you get good at rolling um, and, and get through that. But you do have to have some kind of defensive thing. There are other situations which there are multiple ways. So somebody like Havel, um, you know, you can get good at pairing. You can, and I, I'm not get gooding you. Like I hate that part of Dark Souls culture. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I just so said the word get good and I, I hate that I said it. I apologize. <laughs> but you can, you can master, um, you know, the system of pairing. You can master the system of rolling. Yeah. Um, you can find his leash. Like he will stop following you at a point um, and you can just cheese him that way. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes a lot of fall damage because he's in heavy armor. So you can discover that if you, uh, you know, if you've noticed yourself doing that, that's really mm-hmm. obscure. So it's possible. I understand yeah. that uh, it's also experiential. Um, yeah. One thing we didn't talk about about this that would have been a good thing to talk about is the way that the designer wanted to recreate that playground experience of playing NES games. So going to the internet and finding a way to do something is a feature, not a bug. Like you talking to other players and getting that input is something they want. Mm-hmm. Whether it, you, it worked for you or not, you know, it might you may, may, maybe didn't like that. But they want that, this kind of, this idea yeah. of, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this support group um, to uh, to actually make my way through this, yeah, um, and that's baked into it too with the uh, the soapstone message system. If anybody hasn't played, players have the ability to kind of leave these limited vocabulary kind of like pro tips on the ground as it goes along. So as you're running into Havel, you're actually going to find probably some conflicting reports, but like try rolling, get naked, do all these kind yeah. of things, which which is a thing. Like you can you know if you're not rolling quickly enough to you know to get around him, and he's going to one shot you anyway. You might as well, well not just, wear armor. Yeah. yeah, not wear armor and just yeah. be be quick. Um, yeah. All that, or try. even just like difficult foe. Yeah, you know, try again later. Like or something something to that effect because that yeah. that's also a, a valid thing. So there are multiple paths for some of them, not for all of them. So I understand your point, um, but some of it, and it also requires like. Uh, coming upon those things on your own is difficult. Um, it's only happened, like some of the things I did 
learn my learn through. Like mm-hmm. I would check with Cole because he played it before me, or I checked online. But then sometimes when I found them myself, it was it made up for those times of feeling bad. Like I felt yeah. super cool. Yeah. So so it is a tension where there where there is an optimal thing, but I think that the it's for, from our point of view that's mitigated yeah. a little bit by these other things. Yeah. Hey. Uh, the question is, um, Frum puts a lot of small details into the games, um, and how important are the evocative names? Uh, you know, Havel the Rock. That sounds weird. Um, uh, like, how, how big of a role did these names play in our uh, uh, kind of curiosity to move forward? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> skeleton lords. <laughs> yeah. That was a thing I learned about before I saw them. And then uh, it's awesome. They look yeah. like a band. Like they, they look like a cover. Like it's just like three Dio's from Beyond the Grave. Just uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a three Dio. Like it's, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. That's the. Um, but yeah, I think I think that stuff's super important. Like I love. Uh, mm-hmm. Those, you know, that just sounds real good. Um, for people, um, I'm not saying this to plug it, but I wrote a book recently that's inspired by Dark Souls. And uh, that was the most fun part, was just like, you know, I need to come up with a monster. The infant mother of all spiders. You know, something like that. Like, that is so super fun to come up with these, like, fiend folio Dungeons & Dragons ass-like <laughs> names for things. Um, yeah. That just, like, you know, get you going without, mm-hmm. you know, literal meaning. And so what's funny about those names, too, is, you know, the people make a big deal about spoilers. Probably a, a bigger deal than they ought to, said the person avoiding all Dark Souls 3 coverage. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, when you're looking at the guide or you've seen people talk about this, and they, they mention Blight Town. Oh, yeah. well, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Um, or it the skeleton lords. It's the same thing as seeing the thing in the distance, right? Because yeah. you hear the name, it's like, oh, I know there are skeleton lords, but like, how many lords? What are they the lord of? <laughs> yeah. What kind of skeletons? They could be like raccoon skeletons on the side of the road. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. It's like yeah. owning all the owl pellets. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And it's just flavor. It builds It builds a sense of world cohesion. There's a definite tone to it yeah. uh, that, that really works for you. Yeah. Uh, works, 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 works for, for us. me, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's an incubator. Yeah. So the question was, a common trajectory through the games is to play it for a little bit and then bounce off of them, think, hey, this isn't for me, hey, this is too hard. Something just resists progress. Then you step away for a little while, and then something brings you back, and then after that, you're just fine. And I definitely think that these have an incubation period. For me, it was playing it. I'd never played a Souls game before. Um, I went the wrong way when I got to Firelink. Uh, one of the videos that I mistakenly left out of here was you're dropped off and I'm thinking there's a graveyard full of skeletons. Skeletons, those are early game enemies. What are they, Lords? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you know they you know, show they they kick your ass and uh, then you have to figure out. So I, like I was hitting against it. And I was like this is dumb. I don't want it again. But I started reading about it and like started like okay well you got to go 
up instead of down. You have to probably roll not like a melee class, like you know, pyromancer will give you this, like all this stuff. And like I started playing it in my head, you know, along the way. And I think that that is that is a good thing. The fact that that's such a common thing, I think that it's a little bit self-selecting. And there's a strain of elitism, I think, in Dark Souls appreciation that isn't that great. And it's not so flattering for the community, but everybody's path is valid to it. And I think that the people who do come back, they're gonna, they're gonna love it. And I don't ever wanna force somebody to play a game they don't like. Yeah, it, it cuts both ways. So that, that elitism um, comes with a, an evangelicism. Like if you find somebody who's into like, CrossFit is a vegan and into Dark Souls, like see which one they tell you about first. <laughs> um, you know, because like I've, I've spent a lot of time just like, oh, Dark Souls, you don't know about that, do you? <laughs> um, you know, and, and telling people about it. So that, it's, it's obnoxious. Um, but it, it's also, it helps get people past that hump. The other thing is I never walked away from something for eight months, but I would walk away from something for a week. And when Cole talks about playing in your head, um, I would do that, uh, and that's like a common problem solving tactic. Like you walk away from something. Sleep and on it, it. Yeah, exactly, sleep on it. Um, and it works in the way for the game too, where I would be up against a boss, I couldn't beat them. I would leave it alone for a couple days, and then in my head I was remembering it and almost like seeing things I wasn't paying attention to. Like, oh, the windup for this attack is really easy, like yeah. to spot. This is so slow, I just need to roll, you know, yeah. or I just need to like block at that time, yeah. you know, things like that. So you, you kind of work your way through the problems mm -hmm. away from it. And sometimes that takes months and sometimes it takes hours. Yeah. And that's like there's a design principle at work there. I think that we wouldn't be so successfully able to kind of dwell on this and roll it over if the systems were. Um, worse if they were looser, if they were sloppier, or less predictable. But the fact that everything kind of works in a way that you expect it to, and sometimes it's just poor planning on your part or your dumb, stupid meat hands. You know, like you can just watch a video of it and visualize it and see that it go. You know, see how it works, see how it fits together. With a couple of exceptions, you know, there are some bad hitboxes throughout the series, some bosses that are a little bit cheaper than others. But like the fact that everything is like clockwork means you can, you know, just have your thought process go like a plinko ball. Um, you know, down until it finally hits. You know, like yes, I can go back and play this. Yeah. I think there was a question over here. That we saw. Yeah. The question is, what kind of character build uh, do we usually use um, in these games? In Bloodborne, we use the Bloodborne one. Yeah, the, the only one. So, that so works. yeah, there's just one. You have to use it. That might. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that might change with uh, with the expansion, but yeah. uh, right now Bloodborne is pretty much. It's pretty restrictive, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the first time you roll through a Souls game, I want to roll with a sword and shield, like just do a, a knight. Um, but then I play through them multiple times, so I do everything. So I've done um, a lot of gimmick playthroughs of Dark Souls 1 and 2 and Demon Souls. Um, more, most ways you can play it, I've tried to do. Um, like a lot of gimmick things, I've modded it, I've speedrun Dark Souls 1. Um, you know, I really love it, so I spent a lot of time just trying to find new ways to experience it. And the cool thing, the thing, the reason why I rag on Bloodborne about it is because it's one of my favorite things about the earlier games because it changes things so much. Like, if you play uh, Dark Souls 1 with a sorcery character versus a melee character, it's not just everything will be easier or everything will be harder. Some enemies are way easier, some enemies are way harder. And you have this new consideration of this kind of ammo count you have to, it just changes the way you play the game. And anything that can take something I've done and cast new light on it, I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of. Um, and that's, that's something I really love about it. So I always do knight and, you know, shield and sword at first and then yeah mess around the biggest way to change the game is to go shieldless yeah honestly like that will change the pace because especially if you're just learning it um it's so much about positioning it's about your move set it's about kind of the rhythm and pace of the way that you're trading blows um and if you don't have that thing to kind of like clean to cling to 
um, then it does force you out of these patterns, and that's the biggest, yeah. most disruptive way to do it. My, like when I first approach one of these games, I pretty much always try and do a combination of melee and spells, and that's just you know, like that one movie with the orangutan. It's any which way you can, whatever looks cool, whatever feels yeah. cool. I know, right? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but just like, oh, this weapon that I picked up looks kind of cool. I don't have the stats for it, so I'm going to build toward it. And it is flexible in a certain way. So you have to do what's fun, at least. Um, and then you kind of branch out into those more specialized things. But yeah. my the first playthrough is always this jack of all trades. Like fire mage. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 when you go shieldless, there's different ways it works. So again, this is like that depth I'm missing, where like if you're shieldless and you're using a big weapon, it becomes about getting a first strike on an enemy, because you can pancake them and stagger them. Uh, but if you're using a small weapon, it's about sticking and moving. So there's just layers upon layers of different ways to play, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really great. Yeah, and we haven't even really touched you know, PvP, mostly because... We're bad at we're, it. Yeah, oh, very, yeah. so very, very bad. Yeah. Um, so it's this whole side of the community, and it's uh, definitely a, a big way to play. And that's where these builds also have um, you know, more importance as well. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. foreboding uh, element to it. Um, and that's, that's partly because of like, the source material. Um, it's well known Miyazaki has a lot of, has drawn a lot of stuff from mm -hmm. um, Do you guys have a favorite, uh, like a favorite element of, or another favorite source material that it draws from, or perhaps yeah. something that it's had influence on mm -hmm. later on? Yeah. Uh, so the question was, there are a lot of influences that go, on, go into the look and feel and tone of uh, Dark Souls' most uh, kind of primarily Berserk, which is this manga anime series that's been running forever, and we did a couple of episodes about it. But do we have any other uh, kind of favorite um, influences yeah. that went into or it? Or antecedents. Antecedents, yeah. yeah. Or descendants, rather. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously Bloodborne Lovecraft stuff, like that was you know made for me. Um, <laughs> there's always been touches of, of Lovecraft in Dark Souls. Um, you know, specifically in Demon Souls, like Tower of Latria is really Lovecraftian. Um, but I'm a big fan of that, and that's my favorite thing about Bloodborne, mm -hmm. um, are these cosmic gods and things. And then other influences, um, one of the things we did, uh, uh, the, the, fighting, or the um, fighting fantasy books, so and, we did, yeah, uh, sorcery, yeah. and stuff, when, for our other show, for Watch Out for Fireballs, which was a big influence uh, on Miyazaki, um, and it made, that made that click for me, too. Mm -hmm. I was way into it. Those are a series of game books. Um, and he, the, the story is really heartening, where, like, um, every cool thing about Souls, there's like this really cute story about Miyazaki that's like really great. And one of the things was uh, he had this imperfect understanding. So he was way into the world, but there were so many words he didn't know what they meant. And he would imagine what these words meant in this choose your own adventure book. Um, <laughs> and that's what he got this kind of sense of mystery he wanted from the games. Um, but reading uh, Sorcery uh, and going through that, like there's a lot of DNA there. There's a lot of just weird, um, that kind of sense of goofiness. Uh, that comes through like something is scary but it's also not scary in a predictable way yeah. um, is maybe my favorite thing yeah um, and both of us are fans of like D&D &D, um, yeah. monster manual kind of stuff um, and that is also um, a, a, a great influence on those you just see that pop up so much in the in the enemy designs mo yeah. uh, most often obviously you have mind flayers you have blobs you have um, a Shoggoth and yeah, you have yeah, a Shoggoth and, and Bloodborne. Like it is, yeah. Every every big monster that you can find from a collection of monsters, like a lot of them show up. Um, and then as far as uh, descendants go, like uh, Shovel Knight, 
is my favorite game that I played that year, probably. Mm -hmm. um, Shovel Knight is so, so good. Um, <laughs> and that has a lot of souls in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say that, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of looking for the next kind of descendant of that. We yeah. played uh, Lords of Darkness. Wait, Lords what? of the Fallen? Lords of the Fallen. They're te Teflon yeah. title, guys. Yeah. Uh, Lords of the Fallen. Well, see, there are these Fallen. <laughs> yeah. And then there are Lords of them. Yeah. I defy anyone in the audience to say who the Fallen were in that title. <laughs> like, anyone who's played that game. Yeah. I want to ask the developer. Yeah. I don't know who the Fallen were. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, was kind of like a launch title for the, uh, for the PS4 that really cribbed a lot from Dark Souls. And it it was, good. it was all right. It's not the worst way to spend 10 hours. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. But, um, you know. I have a lot of hope for Salt and Sanctuary. I think yeah. that looks really rad. Um, I want a 2D Dark Souls. Yeah. Pretty bad. Mm -hmm. so. so, yeah. I, was, I would say Shovel Knight, too, as well, in terms of the, uh, the antecedents. Yeah. Also, DLC for Shovel Knight is phenomenal. If anyone hasn't played it, it's free and it's amazing. It does that recasting the entire experience thing. Um, you have an entirely different control set that works in a different way, and it's genius. It's really, <laughs> really good. Yeah. Uh, Chris? Yes, this question's for Gary. Um, Cole has a red beard. Uh, why should we trust him? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the question was, Cole has a red beard. Why should we trust him? Huh? You have to look behind the beard. <laughs> the, uh, I, I only look at him from the nose up. He's always going eyes down here. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to keep looking in your eyes, buddy. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a good trap. Good trap. Those eyes are like oceans. <laughs> yeah. Grant him eyes, so I might stare deeply into them. At Kasi, or should I say, Kazumi? Um, yeah. huh. uh, there were a couple more here. Yeah. Um, red shirt, then white shirt. Yeah. yeah. One moment. <laughs> I have not read that, uh, but be still my, in my heart. Yeah, my, my, my pro GameStop card expired. Um, the, the question was, um, in a recent interview uh, from Software, asked Miyazaki not to make a tabletop spinoff of Dark Souls. Um, and we're going to camp out on that for a second. But the, the actual question was, uh, what kind of spinoff or property or other thing would we want to see from uh, Dark Souls? Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see a tabletop game based on Dark Souls. Um, I know that's not a thing. You just said that a wish will not be granted. But like, if you could find a way, something that I spend a lot of time thinking about when I'm not thinking about video game, um, I play a lot of tabletop games and thinking about the way that rule sets uh, influence play and the kind of play that you have. Um, and kind of once I got beyond D&D, &D, you can kind of see that. So like different kinds of rule light systems you know, give the player more verbs and that creates different stories and the interaction of those things is really interesting to me. And trying to think of what the rule set that would emulate uh, Dark Souls feel and kind of uh, combat specifically is really fascinating to me. I'm not convinced it can be done. Um, you could do the settings really easy. Like this could be a source book for something and that's, that'd be fine. Um, but emulating that feel, I don't know how you'd do that. And I would love someone to do it well so I could see it. Yeah. Tabletop would be, would be great and kind of taking out of the world of games, you know, I would love to see uh, like, a, like a book or a graphic novel 
uh, that kind of would approach some of the oh, sense from of the dark. mystery. What's that? From the Dark. Oh, yeah. yeah the, <laughs> the promotional one that we yeah, covered. Yeah, the promotional <laughs> comic that has no information or no anything in it. Yeah. Well, you know, just kind of like to take it back. You know, obviously there's Berserk, and that does a really good a really good job of it. But to kind of put it in this world uh, that, that I have a little bit of affection for, I think that, that would have the potential, especially if you have, like, a good artist uh, behind it. But I don't want, like, a Dark Souls movie or something. I, don't, I really don't want anything that has dialogue. I just want the atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what that, that stuff would look like. It's not to say that I wouldn't be there when it happened. Yeah, like if there was a Dark Souls movie, I would go see it and we cover it for the show, and it'd be great. <laughs> um, just to, just to see it. But I don't know if uh, I can't imagine how it'd be done successfully. But I don't make movies, so that doesn't mean it can't be done. Yeah. So yeah, uh, white shirt. Uh, Sorry to reduce you to your shirt. Yes. <laughs> you can call me Plaid Boy if you want. Like after this, like yeah. Right. <laughs> Ooh, uh, so the question was, first Dark Souls, most favorite and least favorite boss fights? Um, Artorias, number one. I think it's the best boss fight in the series, not just the first game. Yeah. Best, boss fight in the best boss fight in the series, mm -hmm. um, for reasons I've talked about a lot on the show. Um, worst, I mean, the obvious answer is Bed of Chaos. I like the idea <laughs> of the Bed of Chaos a lot. Yeah. Um, so I might go for something like Demon Fire Sage or something like that, where it's like yeah. I've seen this guy three times now, and <laughs> it's not getting any cooler. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll say Demon Fire Sage just to not say Better Chaos. Yeah, it's, it comes at you strong. I actually don't really like the Seath fight that much. I don't think the Seath fight's very good either. Yeah, like um, I don't think Souls games do fights with big things very well. Mm -hmm. um, the smaller the enemy, and that's a, one of my things with Bloodborne bosses. Like, yeah. the sm like a, a human size or a little bit above, I think, are the best fights. Mm -hmm. Um, and for the best one, just so we have a little bit of, I really like Artorias too. That's probably my favorite. But um, I really like the Ornstein and Smoke fight. Yeah. I think that it's memorable for a reason. And I think that the feeling that you get after you finally uh, um, best that is one of the like, best feelings you can get, I've gotten from a game, really. Mm -hmm. Just because it did look so impossible. At Soundtrack the is amazing too. Yeah. And it mashes up really well with Space Jam. <laughs> if you go online and look, there's a, there's a really good like Dunkstein and... and Jam like YouTube of the Space Jam song themed with the uh, Orange and Smoke music. That's incredible. It's really good. Yeah, so the, the question is, uh, um, have we heard of this game called Death's Gambit that is coming out next year? I saw that. Um, did they feature that in the, uh, the Sony's coverage of the on E3? It was like in their indie showcase kind of thing? Yeah, it's developed uh, uh, by White Okay. It's published by Adult Swim. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Adult, who would have thought Adult Swim would like, just be killing it with the video games? They're like the Mark McGrath of companies. Like Their, trajectory, <laughs> their career trajectory makes no sense. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I saw that. Admittedly, I haven't, I haven't looked too much into it. I was intrigued, but um, usually on those gameplay trailers, I tend to, I tend to zone out until I kind of read more about it or honestly hear about it on a podcast um, because that's a better way to get a, a, a sense of a feel for it. Um, I'm down. Like anything that kind of claims to have that, I'll at least check out. You know, if only because we'd probably cover it on the show. Yeah. But um, that was good. It has like a really uh, distinct visual style as well. I, I don't know about it. Um, I've heard the name, but I will check it out because yeah. it sounds good. Yeah. 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 Uh, check, uh, when is your book out? Oh, uh, yeah. The question was, when does my book come out? Um, again, I mentioned I, I kickstarted a book. Um, it is 
a, the Worlds of Power books, which were like a 90s series of children's books based on video games. It's that as if there was one of those based on Dark Souls, but I can't use Dark Souls, so it's <laughs> Souls of Darkness. Um, and that is, uh, so I meant to have it out uh, November, um, but we, the campaign did really well. So uh, my artist is drawing the comic, which is going to take a little bit longer to do. So it's probably going to come out in December. Um, it's all written, and if people have Kickstarter backed it, um, like the PDF and stuff will come out soon. Yeah. Um, so all the written stuff is done. Um, but the actual physical things will probably take until December because we have to draw them. And all the physical stuff is super, I'm really excited about it. It's like a fake serial promotional comic and, and things like that. So there's a whole lot about like needing a complete breakfast to fight the futon of anarchy <laughs> uh, in the comic. So Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've read it. I, I was lucky enough to uh, proofread it just to get some thoughts. It's really good. Oh, <laughs> like, so everybody should be excited about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we have time for one last like lightning question. Is it a quick question, or you're not going to ask like a? Is there a, is there a bit about uh, the wonders of post-fruit pies? <laughs> uh, it's it's about dark signos. So it's cereals <laughs> that are just dark sign. Um, that's the that's the cereal that's in the, the comic. That's not tempting to. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, one more, I think. Yep. I, I if saw it's that quick. you had a question. Last quick one, or we could just uh, say goodbye. We have twenty six okay. seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, you find us afterwards. Yeah. Um, we're working out. If people don't know, um, we're doing a meetup. Later at uh, rehab, rehab Rehab Tavern. It's a uh, um, just like a walk from here. Uh, it's going to be running from like uh, five to seven or so. So yeah. come hang come out. out and have a drink. Yeah, um, talk about soul stuff. And thank you guys for coming. This is really we've done live shows with our other show, but this is the biggest crowd we've had, and, and it's really flattering. And yeah. we're I love that you guys are interested in hearing what we have to say. Yeah. It's great. Super grateful. So, you know, if fun. if you're not aware of the network and the other stuff we do, we've got uh, a whole bunch of shows about video games, comedy, and stuff like that at DuckFeed.tv. I'll echo like Gary's sentiment. This is awesome. I'm yeah. super appreciative. All of you took the time. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. And yeah, that was the talk. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, write in and let us know. It's the first time we've done a live presentation of this particular show. We've done a couple of WAFs now, but uh, this is a, a, a particularly different kind of challenge. Uh, I'm going to make the uh, a PDF of the presentation available uh, on the website. It's not going to have the videos, but you can kind of see some of the still frames and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I'd like to thank everybody who came out again. Uh, I'd like to thank the organizers of the Ohio Game Developers Expo, especially Chris, who uh, was the person who reached out to us. Um, I would encourage everybody who is in the area to pay attention to this because the show is fantastic. Like, I was blown away when I walked in there. Uh, and this thing is going places because they really know what they're doing. I'd also like to thank the technical staff who helped us get set up and help us helped us uh, record this audio. Uh, it turned out great, as you can hear. Uh, yeah, uh, and I'll, I'd also like to thank our Patreon backers because this is an expensive thing to do, flying Gary out here and, you know, gas and things like that. Uh, so we're only able to do those kind of things because of your generous support. Uh, and if you want to uh, join that uh, body of supporters, you can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and uh, throw in a couple of bucks a month and help us, you know, do more stuff like this in the future, uh, should people be kind enough <laughs> to invite us. 
So yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with our uh, regularly scheduled programming of the Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh, that is going to be a special episode about a movie that uh, had a lot of visual influence on uh, Bloodborne. And then after that, we're going to continue our rampage through Bloodborne proper. I think that's about it. There's no real quote that I can uh, pull for the outro, so let's just go with the classic. So until next time, praise the sun. Umbasa. Umbasa cool. That was gear. And we all pray that we will have far more soon 